Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. So we're going to jump back into our series. So again, if, uh, if you haven't been here, we are spending the fall uh, really trying to um, reset what it is that we believe that God is calling us to build here as a church family, and more than anything, who it is that we believe that he has called us to be. So in, in a nutshell, uh, if you've never been to Ridgeline before and you want to know really what we're about, we want to be a people whose lives are experienced are, are positioned to experience transforming relationship with Jesus. So rather than just uh, empty ritual uh, or some sort of religious behavior that marks us, we, we want to have a real, vibrant, intimate, changing relationship with Jesus because we believe that that's what he wants for us and that's what he wants with us. And so we believe to experience that, that our lives have to be positioned appropriately, that it doesn't just happen on the go as we do whatever we want, live however we want. He's invited us to position life in, in such a way that makes relationship with him conducive. And so there are three positions that make up life at Ridgeline. Weekly worship, where we gather together like this. Formative friendship, which we're going to talk again more about today, and then sitting with God, which is learning to actually hear from God and talk to God on a daily basis for one's self. So uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been just pressing into this formative friendship thing, which is essentially just friends who have an intentional relationship that is marked by we're trying to grow in Jesus together. And we practice that in a couple of different ways here at Ridgeline. The main one is through our squads, which uh, I'll say probably a little bit more about in just a few minutes. Um, but I want to press back into this topic today of, of formative friendship. We've been talking about how it really requires two things. It requires uh, a safe person who is going to be compassionate and is going to respond to us the way that Jesus responds to us. But it also requires the courage for all of us to live in the open and to be willing to open up with, with the people in our lives about what's really going on inside of us. And so that's the part that I want to spend a little bit more time talking about today. And I want to start by chatting a little bit about comfort. Because I, I believe, I think you'll probably agree with this if you really think about it, uh, we live in a privileged culture marked by unprecedented comfort. We probably live in the most comfortable time in all of human history, right? And I, I was thinking like, I mean, there's so many different express, expressions of the comfort that we live with and the comfort that we all have. Uh, and it's not comfort that is experienced by everyone, everywhere, all over the world. We are in a very privileged place of comfort in our culture. But I was thinking about like one of the most obvious expressions of this, of, of the comfort we experience has, has to be our ability to just like control the temperature. Just think about how insane it, like, do you remember like what people used to have to do to, you had like very few options. If you were cold, you could light a fire 
Outside of that, it was like more clothes on or more clothes off. That was your only temperature control options. And now we can heat a room to whatever temperature we want. We can cool it. Like most of you could probably heat or cool your house from your phone right now. You could for sure do that. Tyler can do it from his watch, from his one of the 72 devices that he's always got. It's just unbelievable. And then we've taken the temperature control thing to our cars and we were like, air conditioning and heat was not enough. Now our seats air condition and heat. And the steering wheel, like we are getting soft. Who is gonna fight the wars, man? Like we are in big, big trouble. And I remember when Tyler told me, I think he was the first person I knew whose steering wheel heated up. And I was, I didn't think I said anything, but I was, you know, judging him internally in a major way thinking like, this is so like, who needs a heated, heated, heated steering wheel? And I got in, and I drove it the first time and I was like, oh, this is game changing, okay? <laughs> this is a must in my life moving forward. So we just live in this time of unprecedented comfort. And that is not all bad by any means. Most of it is a tremendous gift to us. But I do think that our experience of comfort comes with a significant liability. And the liability is that we now have a habit of seeing discomfort as a sign that something is wrong. We live in a way that our lives are really bent toward, we, we are gonna do everything we can do to diminish uh, discomfort. Discomfort is a problem, discomfort is bad, comfort is good, so anytime we experience discomfort, there's this thing in us internally that signals, uh-oh, something is Something is wrong. There's a problem that needs to be solved. And the reason that that is problematic for us is primarily a spiritual one. Because the reality is that the Jesus journey that he invites us on is innately uncomfortable. Anyone who sells you a version of spirituality that is comfortable is not selling you the way of Jesus. Because it's just innately uncomfortable. Think about what Jesus invited us to, to pick up a cross daily and to follow him, which means living a way of life that is marked by this daily death to self. And I don't know about you, but there's like no part of that that sounds like an invitation to comfort. It is just innately uncomfortable to pattern one's life in such a way that we're going to follow Jesus. You cannot... You cannot follow Christ and remain comfortable all the time. It's just impossible. So there's something in us that has to choose to befriend discomfort. And I would argue that might never be more true than when it comes to building formative friendships. Because really building deep, meaningful friendship is nothing if not uncomfortable. Like we can have comfortable kind of surface relationships with people that we have mutual in interests and we like to hang out and, 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 and live at a surface level. But, but the moment that we choose to step into the open about what's really going on inside of us, it is painfully uncomfortable. And, and, and I would say it's probably somewhat uncomfortable for everyone, but there are degrees, right? Like for some of us, it's paralyzingly uncomfortable. That, that it's just like almost impossible for us to do that. Then every once in a while you meet someone and it's like their whole life is just out in the open for everyone. That's awkward too, just so you know. That may not be uncomfortable for you. Make no mistake, it's uncomfortable for everyone else that you keep telling all your business to all the time. 
So there's just something about building these formative friendships that is going to be inherently uncomfortable. And because of that, it's going to demand an immense amount of courage from us. Because we all live with varying degrees of fear when it comes to living in the open with other people. And the antidote to fear is going to be courage. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at this story about the Apostle Peter in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Matthew 14. If you like to read on your phone, uh, you can. Um, I'm not going to put the the scripture up on the screen this morning, uh, mainly, and and here's why. Mainly because if you want to bring a Bible, you're welcome to. But one thing I really, I'm trying to be more mindful about, and I want us to try to be more mindful about, is being present together in this time, rather than just distracted by the myriad of things. It's so hard for us to be present together. And so if you don't have uh, a copy of the scriptures in front of you, I just invite you to be present here and to listen to this story about Peter. But if you do have a Bible that you want to read from, we're going to be in Matthew 14. Now, here's the thing about this story. We're going to read about Peter who is experiencing very different circumstances. You're going to like, if I were to just read this story, you're going to be like, what does this have to do with friendship? Well, the circumstances are totally different, but what is demanded from Peter is the same courage that's demanded from us as we think about stepping into the open with God and with one another. So it's a different set of circumstances, but it demands the exact same courage. And so I think that we have much that we can glean from it. And it's an unbelievable story as well. All right, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. Um, I'm going to pick up in verse 22. But just for the sake of context, here's what's going on. Uh, In Jesus' ministry, he has just got done with the miracle where he fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and some fish, right? Many of you have heard that story. Uh, The number was actually quite larger than that. The scriptures record the number of adult males who were there present. Uh, It does not include a specific number about women and children who also would have been present. So the number of people that Jesus fed in this moment and that were present with him was definitely north of 10,000 people. So Jesus gets done performing this unbelievable miracle where people are like, where did all of this food come from? It's like, if you've ever been to one of our Ridgeline picnics and you see how much food Tyler has for us at these things, it was like that, but it didn't require an entire day at Costco like it does for Tyler. So there's just like, there's leftovers, there's everything after this meal. And these people, as is so common, anytime they had an experience with Jesus, they are blown away. But after this miracle, they take a really aggressive step. They decide, Matthew 14 doesn't tell us this, but in John 6, 15, in John's account, he gets more specific. This group of people decided that what Jesus did was so amazing that they were going to take him by force and they were going to declare him their king and set him up as their political Messiah that they had been anticipating. The Jewish people in the first century anticipated a Messiah who would come and liberate them from Roman control and oversight in their lives. So they're like, this stuff that Jesus is doing is mind-blowing. He's the guy. He's our Messiah. We're going to make him king. And Jesus came to be a very different kind of Messiah. He came to be a different kind of Messiah than even the one that we look for in our own political figures. He didn't come to throw off human authority. He came to sacrifice his life as an expression of love and a means of freedom for everyone. 
And so Jesus has his disciples there that he's working so hard to train these very poor, confused people about who he is. He's trying to cast a vision for them of a different kind of Messiah, and he doesn't want them seeing these people trying to set him up as king. So he puts his disciples into a boat, sends them off around the Sea of Galilee, and then as Jesus was so skilled at, just sort of sneaks off through the crowd and he goes up into the mountain. So all of that is what has been happening, okay? So the disciples have had this amazing day, another experience of seeing Jesus do something incredible, and now they are off in a boat on their way across the Sea of Galilee. And so look what happens. Look at verse uh, 22. It says, immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And well into the night, he was there alone. Now, I think there is a pattern in Jesus' life there that's worth paying attention to for us. Jesus had this tension and balance that he kept his life in uh, all the way through his earthly ministry, which was he was constantly withdrawing to be alone with his father, and then he was um, engaging with people and doing the work of ministry that he had come to do. But he did both of those things. Now, by and large, in our own lives, we tend to be in our culture very high output. So we, we tend to be really good at doing, and, and we really struggle at being. And Jesus did both of those things. And so one of the many examples that we see in Jesus' life, but specifically in this story, is the importance of having our being with God preceding our doing for him, which is much of what we're going to talk about in just a couple of weeks as we start to talk about what it means to sit with God. But we see this pattern in Jesus' life of allowing his being to precede his doing. So he's well into the night. He's there alone. Look at verse 24 says, meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves, because the wind was against them. And Jesus came to them walking on the sea very early in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them. He said, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, a couple things to note here so we understand what's happening. The text says that they were some distance from the land. And again, John's account gives us more detail. In John 6, 19, we learn that they were probably three to four miles from the shore at this point. So they had been, they had been rowing for a very long time. Our translation says that Jesus came to them very early. When you read this in the Greek, we know that he, was, he had come to them sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., So here's what that means. That means that these guys had been rowing for somewhere between six to eight hours at this point. Now, show of hands, who has ever had the experience of getting on a rowing machine? Anybody? Good. Here's what happens on a rowing machine every time. You start off and you're like, this is great. I could do this all day. It's so smooth. This feels good on my body. And then two minutes in, your heart rate is at like 190 and you feel like you might drop dead on this rowing machine. And so just imagine they're they're rowing against a very strong headwind, and they have been rowing to save their lives for six to eight straight hours, no break. So the point in that detail is to understand these would have been some exceptionally weary men. And then 
After all that, when they had to have had this internal dialogue where they're thinking like, there's a really good possibility we're going to die in the midst of this storm. They see a figure walking toward them on the water. And so if you think about what the emotional theme running through this story is, the emotional theme is one of fear. There's like five times in the story where their fear is mentioned or the text says that they are terrified. And it's easy for us to read a story like this and we kind of do it in a condescending way. Anytime it comes to the disciples, we're like, these guys, they just never get it right. They're always messing up. Freaking imagine being in this experience. You've been rowing for your life for six to eight hours and then all of a sudden you see something walking on the water. That's never happened to you, and you would be scared too. Plus, the Greek word that's used uh, specifically has this connotation to evil. They thought that there was, they were feeling as though there was like a spirit, which is why they cry out about a ghost. But Jesus calls out to them, and he says, it's I, you don't need to be afraid. And so then look what happens. Then this is where we get to focus some attention on Peter. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. I feel like that's a bold move, right? He just found out like, they're all like, it's a ghost. And his first thing is like, well, if you're not a ghost, call me to come out and walk on the water too, which I feel like is the very thing a ghost would do if it wanted to kill you. (laughs) So I feel like that's a bold move. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. So Peter, I don't know how much everybody knows about him, but, but I think one of the things that's probably the most obvious about Peter as we read about him in the gospels and even some of the uh, later stories in Acts, uh, Peter was a pretty impulsive man. Um, and sometimes that was good. Uh, And sometimes that did not go great for him. But we definitely know that he was an impulsive guy. And I think we see an example of that here again. And that no one else in the boat is like, well, we want to come out on the water too. Peter's just the first person to speak up and say, Lord, I want to come walk on the water with you. And so on the one hand, it sounds like a very faith-filled decision. And I would say it's like faith-ish. Because it's, it's really kind of an emotional decision that is born out of this impulsive nature that that Peter had. But it's still faith-ish, which is encouraging because usually on our best day, we have like faith-ish. Very often do we have perfect, pure faith. Usually there's some mixture of fear and worry inside of us too. But Peter, which I just have always wondered like what it must have felt like for that first leg to go over the boat and to find that water secure to stand on, had to have been insane. And we don't know how many steps that he got, but he was walking on the surface of the water. And then he starts to see the way that the wind has whipped up these waves around him. 
And so at some point, his eyes come off of Jesus and he starts to look at these waves. And the moment that he looks away from Jesus, he begins to sink. And so he has like this great moment of faith. It goes away real quick. We've probably all experienced something like that. And then, again, I think he makes the the admirable decision in that he cries out for help from Jesus. And my favorite detail in this text is that that Jesus is not like kind of like a petulant parent where he's like, he doesn't, he doesn't like stand back and go, you a little faith should have kept your eyes on me and then reach out and grab him. The text says immediately Jesus responds to his cries for help, grabs him and lifts him up. And then I believe in a loving and compassionate tone says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you take your eyes off of me? But it's significant that Jesus does not ignore his cry for help or doesn't stand back on the water, arms folded, going, well, you got to learn. Instead, he immediately reaches out and in a moment of compassion and mercy, he grabs Peter and he picks him up. Now, here's the thing about every, anytime we're going to study a story like this, or anytime we're going to teach, we're always left when it comes to the scriptures to make this decision about where are we going to focus? Because there's like a million things that we could learn from this text. We could focus on Jesus' tendency to go off and pray prior to coming and serving. We could look at the compassion and the mercy of Jesus. We could focus on the other disciples and how come they didn't ever get out of the boat. Or we could look at Peter. So we're always left with this question of where are we going to place our attention? And this morning, I want us to focus our attention on Peter's courageous choice to get out of that boat. Because it is a pretty amazing decision. And I think that we learn a significant lesson from that decision. And it's our big idea, it's this. There is no hacking our way around fear. There is only the courage to step into it. And we're going to talk about that in the context of building relationship with one another, but that's just a principle about life in general that we learn from this story. There is no hacking our way around fear. There is only the courage to step into it. See, if we're honest, what we really want is we want a lesson or some tricks or a principle that will help us eliminate fear in our lives so that we can be more courageous. But that's not what courage is. So we're not, we don't live life in such a way that we can eliminate fear. Jesus wants us to practice courage in the midst of it, which is to keep our eyes fixed on him, to believe who he is, to believe what he says, and to take action against those things that the scriptures say are true about him. And that demands courage. So there's just no hacking our way around fear. So when it comes to relationship, there is no way for us to have three or four or five principles that are going to remove the fear that we feel when it comes time for us to sit with someone and to open up about something that's going on in our life. There is no way to hack your way out of that fear. It'd be awesome, but it just doesn't exist. There's only the courage to step into that. And so again, the context of our conversation this morning is relationship. And so again, we all live with some degree of sometimes paralyzing fear of being known by others. Think about how many, like if you really start to pay attention, because I've been thinking about this, I've been paying attention to it this week. The number of things that we think and that we feel that go on inside of us 
that everything in us like longs to let out and to have another person know us in, but we keep suppressed and hidden inside of us is really unbelievable. Like I would, I would challenge you this week to just like find some system to be mindful of that where there's something you think, something you feel, but you don't verbalize it out of fear of how it'll be received or what this person will think or what they'll say. Keep track of how much we carry around inside of us and then you will understand why we are so unbelievably tired all the time. The reality is many of us are so closed off to other people that we are carrying this like million pound weight inside of us And sometimes it's not even just one big thing. Like maybe some of us have some big thing from our past that needs to be processed and disclosed to another and invite somebody else into to help us think through and talk through. But I think more often than not, it's just a million little things that go on throughout our day that we carry inside instead of disclosing to another. And it becomes a crushing burden in our lives. And as we talked about last week, That fear is the result of the shame script that we hear inside of us. Shame says you are bad. And if people, if a person in your life was to know that you've done this, if a person in your life was to know that this has been done to you, if they were to know that you think this, if they were to know that you feel this, then they are going to judge you, condemn you, and reject you. And as a result of that script, We feel immense fear that that might happen, and so we hide. And that hiding just increases the weight that we're carrying around inside of us. And so the question is, how do we start to choose the courage to step out into the open in the face of fear? Even though, like, so we we are doing our squad training right now, our first wave of it. We've got another wave coming up. And so we're teaching uh, our church how to have these conversations where we live in the open with one another. And so in each wave of training, we're doing four weeks together, and uh, I kind of walk us through, remind us, here's, here's the type of relationships we're trying to build. People go off and they have their squad, and then we come back together at the end, and then we sort of debrief. What did that feel like? How did that go? What was that? And, and every, it's always awkward, because it's awkward to be open with people. So that's been consistent. But it's been interesting to hear people talk about how much fear they feel when it's their time to be able to open up and share. And so the question is, if that disclosure is required for us to build true relationship, which it is, and we feel that fear, how do we begin to take courageous steps in the midst of it? And so I want to I give you just briefly this morning some simple courage counsel, okay? Super practical, very, very simple but important for us to just keep front of mind, okay? Some simple courage counsel. Here's the first thing. Um, The phrase, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Time before trust. Time before trust. And by that I mean, it is good, uh, it is wise, and it is prudent to be discerning about the people in our lives that we choose to live openly with about everything with. That is not appropriate or wise for us to do that with every single person in the world. Because the reality is, and I know that this, is, this will resonate with all of us, not everyone is safe. And the truth is, we all know that because we've all experienced that. 
where someone has proven with time not to be a safe person to live in the open with. And so what I would say is we need to have some time with people before we choose to trust them with these deepest parts of who we are. That's just wisdom. It is unwise. The Bible would use the word foolish to just live in such a way that we are constantly exposing ourselves to the, possi- the very real possibility of being hurt and wounded by a person who is not safe for us to live in the open with. So it's okay for there to be a season of time. And the squads, the reason I love our squads is they, we're able to kind of craft these relationships right out of the gate that we can ensure we're learning how to do this together. But in general, really make sure that you practice time before just willy-nilly trusting anyone that you come in contact with with these deep parts of yourself. So time before trust. Here's the second one. Safe, not perfect. Write down the phrase, safe, not perfect. This is connected to the first one. Um, Just because a person is a safe person, we should not forget they're still a person. Does that make sense? And there are no perfect people. So no one's going to be perfectly safe for you all of the time. There's times in my marriage, like my, my wife is probably the safest person in my life. Pastor Ty and I have been friends for 27 years. He's one of the safest people in my life and hopefully vice versa. And there's times where we might open up and start talking about something and I don't respond right or well, or I'm not present and it's wounding. And so I want to say that at the forefront because I want to make sure as we've been talking more and more about what it means to be a safe church for hurting people, and we've been talking about being safe people in relationship with one another, that doesn't mean that you're going to find a perfect person who always responds to you like Jesus. We are imperfect and we are going to make mistakes. And so what you're working to do in a relationship like this is you're learning to discern a pattern of behavior. So the good news is, in my friendship with Pastor Tyler, in my marriage, I've got a a pattern of behavior where I've proven multiple times to be a safe person. And so that's why time before trust is important. You want to see a pattern of behavior with someone that they may not be perfect all the time. Sometimes their responses might may not feel the way that you want them to, and they may not have the words that would have been really helpful for you to hear, but at least there's a pattern of behavior that says, hey, this person has a track record of being a safe person in my life. Does that make sense? So we're looking at time before trust. We're looking for safe people, but not perfect. And then thirdly, uh, write down the phrase, walk, don't run. Walk, don't run. One One of the... I think most important things that I'm trying to learn to embrace in my own relationship with Jesus is that um, he's just like not in a hurry with me. Over and over again, the Psalms talk about the patience of God. And very rarely does the Bible ever talk about how patient people are, which I take a lot of encouragement in because I really struggle with, I don't pray for patience anymore. I don't know if you've ever tried that. That's a trap, okay? Just my pastoral advice, don't pray for patience. Try to be more patient, but you start asking God, make me patient, and basically, it's just annoying people all the time. That's, that's how I find God responds to that, to that prayer. But we tend to be very impatient people. We want change now. We want to say one prayer, we want to attend one service, and we want every sin and every struggle and every wound gone in a moment. 
But I think because God stands outside of time, he experiences it totally different than we do. And so he's just not bound by this, like, this needs to be done right now. And if we can actually learn to rest in that, it provides us with so much peace and freedom. Because you don't have to. If you are here right now going, I can't wait for this message to be over. I don't want to have to think about or talk about learning to live in the open with people. I don't like practicing disclosure. I like to be isolated and hidden and alone. I want this to be over. Man, if that's where you're at, all we're looking at is how do I take a small step of courage? And what I would say is that a small step that demands courage is still a sizable victory in your life. So the step that the Spirit of God is inviting you to right now, it might be really small, but if it demands courage from you, that's still a really big deal. And it's okay for you to move slowly. By and large, God tends to move very, very slowly with us. One of the most frustrating things about being a Christian is how painfully slow transformation takes place in our lives. And so what if we just chose to befriend that slowness and take the weight off of our shoulders of, I need to be perfectly comfortable living in the open with everyone tomorrow. No one's inviting you to that. Not even God. So we want to... Be mindful of practicing time before trust. We're looking for safe, but not perfect people. And then we want to walk and not run and be patient and go slow. So here's really what I think. There's this amazing lesson from Peter. I think so many different things that we see in this story. I've probably taught this text five, ten times, and it's always totally different because I just think there's so many things to see in here. But one amazing lesson that we see from Peter is that our courage is never greater than when our eyes are fixed on Christ. That's when, that's when he, things were like really clicking for him, and it apparently only lasted for like a second. But in that moment of his eyes being fixed on Jesus and him standing on top of the water, think about how mind-blowing that experience must have been for Peter. I mean, we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. It's a pretty big night. And it had to have been an incredible thing that Peter was, I mean, if that was me, I'd be telling everybody about that. Oh, you'd be so sick of like, have you guys heard my story about, like Matt Johnson met Steph Curry one time. He's told me that story like 90 times. One time. He's not here today. Hopefully he's watching the stream at home. Uh, his wife hates that story because she's heard it more than me, so... But if, if this was like, you just know, man, this formed something deep in Peter. Even though there was a, a failure of his faith in the midst of it, this was an unbelievable experience for him. And so our courage is just never greater than when our eyes are fixed on Christ. And so the more deeply we know the character, the power, and the presence of Jesus, the more courageously we can step out with others because the reality is even when I sit across from another person and we're having a meaningful, open, genuine conversation where we're both working to be safe people for one another and to live in the open with one another, it's ultimately still Jesus we're both working toward. And we do that through relationship with one another, but he is the one that we keep our eyes on. 
And we already have his love. We already have his forgiveness. We already have his approval. So we don't need another person to be perfect for us. We have a perfect savior. We have a perfect heavenly father who loves us faithfully and never fails us. And the more that we keep our eyes fixed on him, the greater our courage will be. And so I just want to close by asking you a question. And that question is, what courageous step toward deeper community can you take this week? What courageous step toward deeper community can you take this week? Maybe, I mean, honestly, maybe it's something as simple as coming to the happy hour at four o'clock. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks or a couple of months and you sort of like blow in, go to your seat and blow out, maybe say hello, usually because Tyler and I are standing at the steps and it's awkward if you ignore us. But maybe that's like the depth of your connection here. And so maybe it's just coming to happy hour and hanging out with us for an hour and hearing a little bit more about the church and maybe be able to put some names to some faces. Maybe it's just a simple step like that. Maybe it's signing up to come to the next squad training that's going to kick off in the next couple of weeks. Maybe it's an invitation from the Spirit that you're sensing even now that there's a, a friend or spouse or significant other or family member or someone in your life that, that you know, like, I, I, need to, I need to talk to someone about what's going on with me. I need to open up about something that I'm feeling about something that I'm struggling with, about something that I've been carrying alone. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know what your step is. But I do know that this morning, Jesus is calling all of us out of the boat. And so as Shanna sings over us this morning, and before we close our time together today, reflect on that question. What courageous step toward deeper community can you take this week? Remember, there's just no hacking our way around fear. There is only the courage to step into it. And so let's choose the courage to step into that fear together. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I thank you for each of these people everyone watching at home, everyone who will listen later this week online. Lord, I thank you that you are with all of us and that you are inviting all of us out of the boat. You're inviting us into the open with you. You're inviting us into the open with one another. And we just confess and acknowledge, Lord, that we, we feel fear in response to that invitation. And I thank you that you know that too. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us the courage to take whatever step you're inviting us to this morning. And I pray that we would hear it. I pray that we would not rush out of here to try to somehow get so busy again that we don't have the space to hear you speaking to us. But I pray that right now you would just make it very clear what you're inviting us to. And that we would choose the courage to say yes to that. And Lord, if there's anyone here or listening who does not, who does not know you and is not living 
in relationship with you, following you. Lord, I pray that you would invite them to yourself, that you would invite them this morning to surrender their thoughts, feelings, their behavior, to surrender their lives to you and to believe that you lived, died, and rose for them. Spirit, what step of courage would you call us to this morning? Lord, we want to go deeper with you and deeper with one another because that's how you form us in Christ's image. So I pray that you would speak to each of us and give us the courage to say yes in Jesus' name, amen.